Incredible. Okay, open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. The name of the message is One Accord. One Accord. Lord willing, we're finished this chapter today. Lord willing, we're finished this chapter today. <clears throat> oh, my. It's been wonderful, though, hasn't it? The first two chapters have just been absolutely wonderful to go through. It's just been amazing. And uh, last week we looked at Peter preaching the Lordship of Christ and then who, who, who is the long-awaited Messiah sent by God to save his people from their sins. And then we looked at the effect wrought in the hearers, a group of hearers. Remember, there was two hearers there, folks who actually heard something and folks who didn't hear nothing at all. Right? And folks who heard something, they, they heard it effectually. By the power of God, the Holy Spirit, they actually heard something. They heard the preacher say something. And that's because the Holy Spirit gave them, they were born again, and they, they were given faith to believe, right? And ears to hear, and eyes to see, just like we've been given, right? Oh, it's absolutely incredible. So let's look at verses 42 to 47 today. But let's start in verses 36 for our reading, or verse 36, and we'll go all the way down to verse 47. But again, our text will be verses 42 to 47. Verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. God did that. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, they were convicted, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall. Look at that. Again, call. He calls his people, doesn't he? He does. He shall call them. He calls them. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untold generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And then here's our text today, verse 42 to 47. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking, bread, breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And there, that fear, that's Jerusalem. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them all to, or to all men, as every man had need. And they continually, continually, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. In his sermon, Peter had declared to the unbelieving Jews that were gathered together that God had made his darling son, the son of his love, the Lord Jesus Christ, both Lord and Christ. And God, the Holy Spirit, pricked the, the hearts of about 3,000 of the hearers that day. There was more. We know there was more because there were some scoffing at him. But 3,000 of them, the Holy Spirit pricked their hearts, gave them ears to hear, 
They heard something. They heard the shepherd's voice, didn't they? Through the preaching of the gospel. They heard about Christ. And he pricked the hearts <coughs> of about 3,000 of his chosen people, moving them to cry out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now God, the Holy Spirit, had made them aware that the very one they sinned against was God himself. And that's who we've sinned against, right? Our sins were against God. We violated his holy law. And his justice, being holy and just, must extract the, the penalty that, that it demands. And the scripture says, right, the soul that sinneth it must die. So, again, Christ, the great substitute of sinners, comes and dies in our place. Now, we're still going to die physically, <clears throat> but because Christ died for our sins, we're going to be ushered into glory. The instant we breathe our last breath, we're in glory, just like that. My, oh my. What a, what a time that'll be. What a time that'll be. But the only reason that's going to happen is because Christ paid that which the law of God demanded for our sins. And he did that for all his people, all the elect of all the ages. And what we see here, there's about 3,000 of the elect right there. Just like that. You notice that too? Did, did, he, did Peter say, bow your head and repeat a prayer? Say, come on up here. We're making an altar down here. Didn't say none of that, did he? Who did the work? God did the work, amen. The Holy Spirit did the work, didn't he? He pricked their hearts. He pricked their hearts, beloved. And as a result of that, they praised God. They praised God for his goodness and his mercy. God had given them a new heart. And here we see a sincere cry for mercy came from them. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, there's nothing they can do, is there? That's, that's, that's the, now that's the reply of, of man. We, we always think there's something we can do. But the gospel preacher always says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And, and look at what Peter says here. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Right? Have, a, have a, a change of mind. How do, we, how do we have a change of mind about God? Is it something we can muster up? No, we saw that last week, right? That repentance is a change of mind, but God's got to do that for us, doesn't he? In Revelation, I think it's chapter 1, John says, and, and turning and being turned. <laughs> That's how we are. We... We turn, but we're being turned, beloved. Isn't that amazing? God turns us to Christ. And then he changes our mind about him, about his son, about the Bible, about God's people. It's absolutely incredible. So he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for or because of the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the name of the Lord, as many as the Lord our God shall call. My, oh my. Jesus Christ, the very one those unbelieving Jews had crucified, was God's promised Messiah. He was the promised Messiah sent to Israel. 
They've been waiting. Vicky and I were talking in this week, and Vicky goes, isn't it amazing that, that they're still waiting for the Messiah, but he's already come? They're unbelievers. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. My, my. Now, do we hope that there's a revival over? Absolutely. I'll tell you what. I hope there's a huge revival over there, don't you? I hope there's a huge revival all over the place. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But that's God's doing, isn't it? We can't make it happen. See, people, people, and I used to be in this, they think that, that if they can get that temple rebuilt, then they're hastening the coming of Christ. I'll tell you what. It don't matter if they rebuild that temple. Because the final sacrifice has already been here. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no need for any more sacrifices, is there? None. It's done. It's done. Oh, my. Now, do we pray for the peace of Israel? Absolutely. We pray for the peace of all around the world, don't we? Do we hate any kind of hate towards other people? Absolutely we do. That's wrong. But what we're seeing manifest is the evil of man, naturally. Sin. Wars come about because of greed and power. And people who just want to kill and destroy. And that's natural for all of us, beloved. But God saved us. We're born again now. We're not the people we used to be. And these, there was 3,000 of them that came, that came to Jerusalem just to worship as they would with their Jewish religion. And what happened? They went home believers on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Were they, were they expecting to have an encounter with Christ when they went to Jerusalem? No, nope. amen, Charlie. Not one of them. They weren't, they weren't even expecting. They were going there to do their, their, their yearly worship. <clears throat> that, what they, that what they had to do. Not even having any idea that the Lord God Almighty was going to reveal himself and their whole lives would be, never be the same again. <laughs> Isn't that what happened to us? It did, didn't it? Oh my. I'll tell you. Christ is the promised Messiah. But he came here and he obtained eternal redemption. Those 3,000 saints there that were saved, they were ones who Christ obtained eternal salvation for. They were ones who, who God the Father gave him in eternity. And there's a whole another, there's a number of them. We don't even know the number of them, do we? But there's a, there's a huge number of them. But those, those folks we see right here, 3,000 of the elect just turned right like that. Did, and, 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 they didn't do anything. They just said, oh, what, what, what should we do to be saved? <laughs> they knew they couldn't do anything. What are we going to do? We're guilty. Oh, and then Peter sets Christ before them. Peter sets Christ before them. And the Lord, God, the Holy Spirit, he'd already been working on them. Oh, my He'd already been working on them. They, they wouldn't have cried that out if God the Holy Spirit wasn't working on them. My, oh my. And Christ obtained eternal redemption for those he laid down his life for. And we're redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. That's, what, that's what's purchased our souls. And that blood, that blood was shed, shed 
to redeem us, but that blood was shed to appease God's wrath, beloved. That blood was shed first and foremost to, to appease the God we sinned against. First and foremost. It's Christ offered himself up to God without spot, you see? As our mediator. We get the benefits of it. And that blood is so precious. That blood of, blood of the God-man is so precious that it redeemed a number that no man can number. We know not, not everyone's saved because there's people in hell today. If, if God saved everyone like, like, like some universalists say, then everybody would be in, in heaven, but everybody's not in heaven, are they? No. My, oh, my. And the preacher's cry is, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And remember, Luke's writing under divine inspiration here, too. This, he's not just penning words that he's thinking of himself. When we read the scriptures, remember that these words are divinely inspired by God. He's the true author of these words. He's letting us in to what happened that day. And then now, he's, this, this book is wonderful, Acts, because we're going to see, we're going to see the church at work. Going forth for Christ. And all they desire is to glorify God, just like we desire to glorify God. Isn't that amazing? In this portion we're going to look at, we're going to see some good examples, right? We're going to see some good examples for us even today. And it's set forth there for our learning, beloved. Look at, look at verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, what's the apostles' doctrine? Well, it's the doctrine of Christ. It centers around Christ. It's, it's preaching Christ. It's preaching that, that, that man is unable to save himself. That if we're to be saved, God must save us. Otherwise, we're lost. We cannot save ourselves. It's called, in other words, it's called the total depravity of man. People get all bent out of shape. It just means we can't save ourselves. That's what it means. Is it true or not? You know, you say, oh, I believe in total depravity. Somebody goes, oh, I don't believe in that. Oh, my goodness. Well, you don't. And then you ask them, well, do you believe God, you can save yourself? Or do you believe God has to save you? Well, I believe God has to save me. Well, that's because you're totally depraved. You see, people get, they get all worked up about the acronym of the tulip. It's just based on Scripture. And the apostles taught this. Paul said there's no man, can, no man can seek God. No man understands God. You see? There's no way in our natural state for us to understand who God is. Romans actually 3.19 says, Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's total depravity. Man is guilty before God. Why? Because of our sin. Because of our sin. And then do you know that the, the apostles, they preached the unconditional election of God. Right? Another, the you, oh, this, this one really bends people out of shape when you start talking to them about unconditional election. 
I, I, I had a friend of mine the other day, I asked him, I said, you're so against unconditional election. I said, can I ask you something? And he goes, yeah. And I say, uh, you claim that you're saved by God. And he says, yeah. And I said, well, when God saved you, did he save you on purpose or was it by accident? Uh, it was on purpose. I said, that's election. See, but man's so against that, naturally, until you, you bring it right down to our level, right? I needed it brought down to my level. First time someone told me about election, I blew a gasket when I, was, when I believed my free will had saved me, which it hadn't. Oh, my gosh. My, oh, my. Listen to this. Paul's writing to a young church in Thessalonica. If, turn there if you would. First Thessalonians chapter, chapter 1. He's writing to a real, a real young church. Right? And people say, well, you shouldn't teach these deep things. To, you shouldn't teach these deep things to young believers. Well, Paul did it, didn't he? Paul did it. Look at this. Look at this in First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses... Verses 4 and 5. Paul taught, he taught the unconditional election of God. Look at this, it's so clear. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election. That means to choose in the Greek. Your election, what? Of God. Well, who chose me then? God chose me, right? And then he says in verse 5, For our gospel, look at this, look at this. It didn't come to you in word only, but also in power and in much and in, in, in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as, as you know what manner of man we were among you for your sake. Look at that. It came with power, beloved. The power of God, the Holy Spirit. Just like we saw with Peter preaching. Peter's just a mouthpiece, isn't he? That gospel came with power, and 3,000 souls were saved. And then, this, I, I absolutely love, I absolutely love, um, where is it here? Um, look at verse 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received uh, the, the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. There's a, oh, verse, verse 9. Look at, I love verse 9. Because I used to be a Catholic. I was worshiping idols, right? Look at this. For they themselves show of, of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols. We turn from God. To, we, we turn from idols to God, beloved. And every one of us, we either turn from the God of self to serve the living, true God. That's what God's done for us. Why? Why did we do that? And look, look it says, to serve the, the, the living and, and true God. Why did we do that? Right back to verse 4. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. God... God chose us on purpose, beloved. We're not saved by accident. <laughs> We're saved on purpose, beloved. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what they taught. Peter even wrote to the elect scattered. That means the elect of God, the chosen of God. Call us a, a peculiar people. My, oh, my. My, oh, my. And then... Our Lord's apostles preached limited atonement. Even Christ himself. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 10. And then put your finger in Titus chapter 2, verses 
14 and 15. Our Lord, do you know our Lord himself taught limited atonement? Look at this. This is in John chapter 10 here. John chapter 10. My oh my. John chapter 10. Verse 11. Our Lord said this. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. If you go down a little further in that chapter, you go down a little further in that chapter, where is it? Okay, here. Look in verse 25, John chapter 10. Look at this. So he's, he's, told, us in, he's told us in John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I, I talked to a universalist a couple weeks ago, and this is where I took him. He believes Christ died for everybody. This is where I took him. I took him right here. And I said, who are the sheep? Because Christ is identified in verse 11 that he died for the sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, right? Okay, now look at, and I took him down here. Look at verse 25. I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So they, they bear witness that he's the Messiah. But ye believe not, because ye are what? Not of my sheep. Said, as I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Our Lord taught that. And I give, look at verse 28. Who gives eternal life? Man can't, man can't get it, because we're sinners. He says, and I give eternal life, and I give unto them. Who? Unto the sheep. He just told these Pharisees. Now, now that's, that's the finger of election, the bony finger of election I heard one preacher say one time, pointing right at them and saying, you're not Christ. Now, we can't say that to other people because we don't know. If you had met me in my natural state, you wouldn't have ever thought I'd be saved. And I wouldn't have thought that either. Here I am, preaching the gospel. And I know you all have similar stories. Here we are. Hey, sister, we talked about, here we are, sister. Worshiping and praising our great God. My, oh my. But he's revealed here to us and to these men. He says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. Look at that. That's, that's eternal security right there. That's eternal security. So even our Lord taught this. And then, if you would turn to Titus, turn to Titus, chapter 2, Paul writes about this too. He calls us a peculiar people. Peter calls us a chosen generation, meaning we're chosen out of our generation. Out of all our generation, the Lord said, Brian, you're mine out of your generation. He said, Karen, you're mine. Out of your whole generation, Marcia, you're mine. Isn't that wonderful? Out of the whole generation that we live in, he said, you're mine. To his people. I know all kinds of people I grew up with, and the Lord 
in eternity said, you're mine, Wayne. My, oh my. Isn't that amazing? That's just incredible. But it's true. Look at this. Look, and who did Christ give himself for? Look at this. Titus chapter 2.14. Now remember, Paul's writing to a, to a younger preacher. He says, who gave himself for us. He doesn't say he gave himself for the world, does he? He says he gave himself for us. Gave himself for his sheep. That he might redeem us from all iniquity. All our sins. Buried with Christ. All of them. And purified. We're, we're, we're purified. Even though we're sinners still, we're purified in God's eyes. He doesn't see no sin in us. And I'm a sinner from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet still. Man, yesterday I got myself so down. I, I'll tell you, I'm just going to be real with you. I got myself so down, I was just spinning in a pit. I was down in the mouth, feeling so sorry for myself. And you know what I thought about? There's Brother Kevin. Having to go talk to his dad. Who praised God as a saved man. Right? And he might not see him again this side of eternity. Man. I was so ashamed of myself, beloved. I was so ashamed of myself. I, you know, but it's, it's normal, isn't it? It's normal for us to get down. But, but isn't it amazing how the... How the Lord, and, and I'm, I'm just being honest. I get down. I'll tell you what, sometimes I get so down, I just want to crawl into bed and sleep. You ever get like that? You ever get like that? It's like, let me just sleep for an hour or two or three hours so I can just get some. And my wife has so much patience with me. I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just thinking all this number. Right? Oh my, isn't God good to us? Isn't he so good to us? My, he died for us. It says here, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And then you know what else our, our, our Lord preached on? The irresistible grace of God. These are all parts of the apostles' doctrine. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And then I'll, I'll read to you. First, Actually, first I'm going to read to you Hebrews chapter 13. It says this, Now the God of peace that brought again from the, from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, Working in you. See that? It's God working in us, eh? Working in you. That which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I'm going to read that, that 1321 again. Look at this. And this is God working in us. Make you perfect in every good work. See, we're sinners to the core, aren't we? Everything we do is tainted with sin. But listen. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in the sight through Jesus Christ. Through Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. But it said there that he gave his life for the sheep. And he, it's, it's him working his will in us, beloved. 
It's him making us willing. It's him drawing us with irresistible grace. And look what it says here. In John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me, what? There it is. Thanks, sister. Shall. Shall. Not, not might, not maybe, not well, if they want to. Shall. Shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. There's no way I'm going to cast him away. There's no way. This is even before he's went to the cross. He's saying this. And then look down at, at verses 43 to 45. So this shows you the irresistible grace of God. We cannot resist his will. If we're one of his sheep, he's going to get us. Now we may wander for years. We may run, while, run around losing our mind for years. And when I say losing your mind, I think of my little puppy dog just going crazy in the house. Right? We call it losing his mind. He just goes crazy. Well, that's how we are in sin. Uh, right? We're just... But look at this. Despite all that, Jesus therefore answered in verse 43 and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. Don't, don't murmur. No man... Look at, now look at this. Now think of the implications of these words. No man can come unto me. That means none of us, none of us in this building, none of, no one in the world has a natural ability to come to Christ. That's what he's saying. No man means no one. That's man or woman, right? We have no ability. He says no one. No one. That's universal. No one. No man can come to me except. Now, there are the, there's like those little butts, right? Except. Except. The Father which has sent me, draw him. That's what happened to us, Brother Dane. That's what happened to us, Brother Jim. The Father drew us. We couldn't come naturally. We didn't want to come naturally. And he made us willing in the day of his power. Now, I'll tell you what. You ever think of this? Someone do you wrong? Do you ever... Do you ever, and I mean, if they really do you wrong, like we sinned against God so many times, right? Think of it. No human would go up and say to, to that person who treated them like that, say, well, come on, you can come eat my, eat my tent. We'd be like, get out of here, I don't want to see you. In our natural state, wouldn't we? I'm going to get you back. That's our natural state. See, but now, now we have the fruit of the Spirit in us, don't we? We don't desire to be like that anymore. Why? Well, because of this. Except the Father which sent me dry him, and I'll raise him up the last day. Look at that guarantee. I will. That's God in the flesh saying, you can't come to me. No one can come to me. But the Father's going to draw some, and I'm going to raise them up. Now, I don't have a clue who they are. I, don't, I, I, preach, I preach to everyone. I don't know who God's elect are. So I preach the gospel to all. That's called the general call. That goes out. This message after here is going to go out on the internet. Out it goes, right? The general call. Flee to Christ. He's the only Savior. He's the sinner's only hope is Christ. But God has to make that effectual, doesn't he? I can't save myself and I can't save anyone else. But God can save all who come to him through Christ. Right? Oh yeah, he can. 
Oh, he can. And look at this. It is written in the prophets. Moses. Remember that all they had was the Old Testament. So he's talking, he's talking now the prophets, right? He's talking the minor and major prophets. And they shall all be taught of God. Every man that hath heard and hath learned of the Father, look at this, cometh unto me. Have we not, I'll ask you, beloved, have we not learned wondrous things? God chose us in eternity. Christ is the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Before there was ever stars in, the, in, in place, before the universes was ever made, before anything was ever made, we were in Christ. Before we were in Adam, we were in Christ. My, oh my. And, and, and our great God who sees the end from the beginning, remember what I said last week? It's like a parade. When a parade goes by, all you see is what's in front of you, right? But imagine having a drone six, seven hundred feet up and it sees the end of the parade in the beginning, right? That's how God sees time and everything in this world. We just see it from the little part of the parade that's going by us. <laughs> but he sees the whole thing. He already knows the end and he knows the beginning. And we're in his hands. And he'll never cast us out. Oh, it's wonderful. So even Christ here is preaching the irresistible grace of God. Because no man can come to him except the Father draw him. And I'll tell you what. A team of wild horses couldn't stop someone coming to Christ when the Holy Spirit's drawing them. You hook a train to them and they still won't stop them. Because <laughs> it's God's power that's drawing them. It's not his power. It's not my power that's coming to Christ. It's God drawing me to Christ, right? Isn't it wonderful? And then lastly, our Lord, his apostles, preached the, the preservation of the saints. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. I actually read this verse early. Chapter 20 and 21. Oh, my. In Jude, remember in the Jude, it says that he's able to present us faultless before his throne. That's preserving grace. That's, that's Christ preserving us and presenting us. And remember, even in the text we just read, he says the Father draws, and then I'm able to raise him up. He preserves us that whole time. In between, too, he preserves us. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's all of God. Salvation's all of God. It's all of him. From beginning to end, from, from, from planning to execution to glorification. It's all God. It's all God. Oh my. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. And our God's able to preserve us. Now the God of peace that bought, bought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, all through our life, he's working in us. And he will preserve us to the very end. What's it say? He's the author and what? The finisher, amen, of our salvation. Right? He does, he does it all. And also everything in between, right? I remember, I, I think I've told you, I'm going to repeat this story though, but I knew an author, in, a, a well-written author in, in Oregon. I had met him at one of the jobs I was at 
and uh, he became one of my one of my customers, a regular repeater. He was just a great fellow. And I asked him, he professed Christ too, and I asked him, I said, when you sit down to write a book, do you just sit down and start typing? He goes, no, no. I plan the theme of the book. I plan the characters of the book. I plan how I want, how I want things to come out. You see what, see what we're getting? And I looked at him and I said, oh my goodness. God does all that, doesn't he? He goes, oh, absolutely. He, and he, he was the one who told me that's what that verse means, that he's the author and the finisher. And I said, so you start the book, you plan it, you purpose it, and then you finish it, right? And he goes, absolutely. And I do all the work in between, too. That's what God does with our salvation, beloved. <laughs> There's not a lick of nothing we do to be saved. It's all him. And there's, there's nothing we do to keep being saved. You ever think of that? He keeps us. I remember hearing Spurgeon say there's not a stitch. No, Henry said there's not a stitch of our righteousness in the righteousness of Christ that we're robed in. There's not one stitch, not, not one little stitch that's ours. It's all Christ. It's all what he's done. Oh, my. It's absolutely wonderful. So let's keep going here. We see in verse 42 again, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that these, the apostles continued in these God-honoring truths, the apostles' doctrine. And then we see, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. They enjoyed each other's company, beloved. One of the greatest things for me as a preacher is to see you all after service, staying around and talking, and fellowshipping together. It's so sweet. Was it Brother Jim said, look, no one wants to leave last week, right? Everybody <laughs> was standing around talking. It was wonderful. That's a sign of a healthy church, beloved. There's unity. There's fellowship amongst, amongst the brethren. And it, it brings me great joy when I see that. And we see here that they continued steadfastly in that sweet fellowship that we have, that communion that we have with one another. Now, they may have not had nothing in common in their lives, but they had everything in common spiritually. And then I find that when you, when, when you meet the Lord's people, you want to get to know them. I always like to ask, how did you meet? How did you meet? How did you meet your husband? I always like to ask that. Because it's neat. It's neat learning people's history. It's neat learning. And I look at it all from the lens of God's providence to see how God brought you together. It's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. My, oh my. And they've been taught that the Lord's Supper was an ordinance that was instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were taught by Christ, being passed down to believers now through all the generations. And our Lord said, this do in remembrance of me. And so they met together and had communion together. And like us, they've been, they, they've been taught that every time they ate the bread and drank the, the wine of communion, they were proclaiming the Lord's death until it's coming. So we see that early New Testament saints continued steadfastly in coming to the Lord's table and they continued steadfastly in prayers. And they, they knew they knew because they were cleansed by the blood of Christ and because they were clothed in his righteousness and because Christ was their mediator that they could 
Come boldly and freely to the throne of grace. Just like we can. Are, are you needy? Let us go to the throne of grace. I'm needy too. Let us go to the throne of grace. Take anything. Take everything to the Lord. We have that free access to go to the Lord. And then look at verse 43. It says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. I'm going to read what uh, John Gill said about this, and this being the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It says, every, Upon every inhabitant of Jerusalem, at least upon a great many of them, and upon all the greater part of them that saw and heard these things and heard apostles speak with, with different tongues, diverse tongues, and Peter preached in the manner that he did and saw so many thousands at once embrace the gospel of Christ and profess his name when it, now by reason of his crucifixion but a few weeks ago lay under great reproach and scandal. And such a number of them baptized in water and because of the miracles done by the apostles after mentioned, so great fear fell upon them. They didn't know what was happening. And then look at, let's read verses 44 and 45 of Acts chapter 2. And all that believed were together and had things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now think upon this. Our great God, who knows the end from the beginning, had these believing Jews do this. Because you know what was coming down the road? You know what was coming down the road in 70 A.D.? The destruction of Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? That God had them do all this before that came? It's absolutely amazing. And they sold their property and their possessions so they could distribute it to other believers who were in need. And the Spirit of God was working in them and moved them to be of one mind, we see. They're of one mind. Verses 44 and 45 are, are not to be used as an example for believers in all generations to fall. We're not to go and sell everything. It's not talking about that. This is what occurred at that time. Now the things that we can pattern after them is the fellowship, the communion, the grace they showed one another. Great examples, aren't they? My oh my. There's nothing written in the epistles of the New Testament that even suggests that such a thing should be done well well we should be concerned of the needs of others of course we should be especially of the household of faith right but people can twist the scriptures can't they and try to make them say whatever they want that's not what it's saying for us to go and do that now it's not it's not saying that if if someone wants to do something and give something to the church that's totally up to them right but this is something we see that occurred at, the, at, the, at the, the, the beginning here of the Acts of, of the Apostles. And I don't know any grace preacher that would preach that you have to do that. Then look at verse 46. And it says, And they continuing, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Now there's a good example for us. There's a good example for believers of every generation. Right there. Right there. During these early days, following the day of Pentecost, going, the, the Jews were going to the temple f for public worship still. It was a daily practice for even the followers of Christ. They could be found in the temple. But notice the Lord's changed something now. 
Paul, whenever he went into the city, he first went to the temple, to the synagogue. But notice the Lord's changed something here. Now they're meeting house to house. I always said that if, if something ever happened where we couldn't meet in this building, we can meet in the house. Right? That's how it is. They met house to house, beloved. It says that right there. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. There you go. Notice they continued with one accord. In other words, they were all like-minded. Similar to what we have here. It's been wonderful. The unity is incredible in the body here. We're like-minded. We desire the gospel, as Brother Neil said, the gospel to go out and, and, and be preached and proclaimed here. And the gospel to go out. My, oh, my. And going to the temple didn't last very long because now we see they're meeting in house to house. And some believers have, some, some believe that this is referring to eating when it says the breaking bread. That's exactly what it means. It refers to them eating together. They're eating together, beloved. They're meeting in each other's houses and they're eating together. Here's the first potluck. Not potluck, but you know what I mean. Yeah, you see pot problems. Yeah. There it is. There's, there's a first Baptist meeting right there. Right? Got to have some food. Man, oh man. We're going to do that next week. <laughs> but isn't, that, isn't it amazing? Now they, 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 they're, they're sharing their meals. They're, they're breaking bread from, with each other. We have sweet fellowship when we have our fellowship meals, don't we? Downstairs. It's wonderful. Time for us to sit and talk and get to know each other even more. My, oh, my. They were eating their meat with singleness of heart. The Lord had filled their heart with gladness. See, they're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. They get the fruit of the Spirit now, don't they? They got true love, true joy, true peace. And they're showing each other true grace now. Not the hypocrisy of religion. And how did all this come about? All their needs are being provided for by the sovereign hand of God. Isn't that amazing? Just like he does for us. Everything we have all comes from our great God. It's his, actually. He's just letting us use it. Right? Think of this. He gives us money. Well, we work hard for the money, don't we? Say, well, I work, I work hard for that. Well, he gives us strength to work hard, doesn't he? He gives us the muscles to keep doing that. You got to give them all the glory. <laughs> I'll tell you what. My, oh, my. So they weren't hypocrites. They're showing kindness and gladness to be with one another. This is real unity before us here. Their hearts are filled with true adoration of our great king. And, and what, what, what happened as a result of that adoration? Well, now, now they're, they're thanking God for everything they have. Do we not thank God for our salvation, for everything we have? 
for our Savior, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at, now let's read verses 46 and 47 together because they're connected with a comma. It says, And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and in heaven favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. When it says there, the Lord added to the church, that's the church universal, beloved. Isn't that amazing? You see, our little work here, the Lord's used it pretty mightily in the last three years on the internet. And he may be adding to the church and we don't even know, beloved. Isn't that wonderful? We just faithfully meet here together, worship our God and King, and God does whatever he's pleased to do with the messages. Our hearts get edified. My heart gets edified studying. Your hearts get edified when the Holy Spirit applies it to you. And then out it goes, and who knows what it's going to do. We know it won't return unto God void, right? Leave it in his hands. And he adds daily, such as should be saved. He's still, do you know he's saving people all around the world right now? Every day. People say, oh, it's so bad. Well, yeah, it is. In man's eyes, in our eyes. But everything's working out according to God's will and purpose. And he's drawn in his elect as he's pleased to do it. Oh, my. Verse 47, we see the text brings forth again that the, these early New Testament saints were praising God and having favor with the people. They, they were sincere with their professions. They were sincere. They were dedicated to what, what they believed. They conducted themselves with such kind deeds and honest behavior, not only to one another, but also towards those who were not the followers of Christ, which is what we're supposed to do, right? We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then marvel at verse, the latter part of verse 47 again, that the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Such as should be saved. Such as it pleased him to save. So these wonderful examples we've seen here are good things for us to, to follow as believers, even here in 2023. And God, God did this. God added about 3,000 souls that day. The day of Pentecost. And you know what? That's the same God who rules and reigns right now. That's the same God who put this church right here in Elmont, Michigan. That's the same God who put you and I in this church. That's the same God who saved us from all our sins. That's the same God. Same God saved 3,000 saints. Same God right now who we serve and worship in the door. My, oh, my. And God worked in these early New Testament saints the same way as he works in the, in the, in the New Testament saints today. Now, two quick points before we go. We finish the chapter. Praise God. <laughs> We're going to go to number three, chapter three next week, Lord willing. But two points I want us to consider that came out of this chapter. The first point is salvation is a work of God alone. When Peter had said, finished preaching, the, the hearts were pricked and said, what must we do? Well, he just pointed them right to Christ, didn't he? 
he pointed them right to Christ. Just like Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So, so like all men, once awakened to their, their, their sense of sin and, and the fact that we sinned against God, we cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, Lord. And these men wanted to know how they could, how they could appease the wrath of God, but they, they, they knew now that they kindled. Christ, Christ, it all hinges on Christ. Salvation does not come by something that man does. Salvation is a result of what God has done and what God does. In this chapter, in verses 37 to 41, the Holy Spirit gives us a beautiful, clear picture of the method of grace. When God intends to save a sinner, he causes that sinner to hear the gospel. He, do you know he caused? Think of this too. We don't know where these men were from, but we know they came from different countries, don't they? Who caused them to all be gathered that morning right there? God, amen. He did it. Just like he caused us to be at a church and we heard the gospel preached and we're like, we're born again by the Holy Spirit. He caused those men to come from all different places and they heard the gospel preached in their own tongue. And God caused that to happen, beloved. And they heard the proclamation of the gospel. They heard life's in Christ. Christ, 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 in him crucified. And they were pricked in the heart. They heard about the redemptive work of Christ. And God gives sinners through the preaching of the gospel in his wise and sovereign providence, he brings that sinner under the sound of the gospel. He brings his sheep, don't he? Dave, you told me you moved up here just because you lacked the area. But little did you know God was going to send you right here so you could hear the gospel. Isn't that amazing? And every one of you can say that. Everyone who's saved can say that. God bought me, sister, you, you and Travis, amazing how you guys met. But Travis was bought to where you were worshiping. And God saved his soul under the preaching by Scott. And it was all by his sovereign, divine hand. And you probably didn't, you, you, you saw, Travis, you saw a pretty girl and you, you, wanted, you wanted to be with her. <laughs> right? Just like, oh my, you hear, you hear that so much, it's incredible. Richard and Irene. Richard and Irene. I was talking to Richard. I said, Richard, how did you meet Irene? He said, well, I was riding my bike one day. And here's Irene. She's carrying a Bible. And she's walking, she's walking down to go to, uh, to go to church. And he said, he said to his brother, man, she's pretty. And he said, off he went. He went over, biked over to her and started talking to her, right? And said, well, where are you going? I'm going to church. He says, well, I want to go to church real bad after that. Right? <laughs> And he heard the gospel, beloved. <laughs> My, isn't that amazing? I'll tell you. It's absolutely incredible. All organized and, and directed by God. Think of, think, of, um, think of Philip with the eunuch. Right? And we're going to see that in the book of Acts. Later. Think of Peter being bought to Cornelius. We're going to see that too. Think of Paul being bought to Lydia. Right? Think of the Philippian jailer. They get thrown into prison. Think, well, what's going on here? They're singing hymns while they're sitting there in prison. There's a great earthquake. And then the Lord saves the Philippian jailer. My, oh, my. Think of the people of Malta. They were a bunch of, they were a bunch of barbarians, right? God, God sends Paul over there, preaches the gospel. A bunch of them, the Lord saves a whole bunch of them. My, oh, my. 
And think of Onesimus. Remember Onesimus? He was Philemon's slave, remember? He stole something and he fled to Rome. Well, why did he go to Rome? Well, because that's where God wanted him to go. And who's in Rome? And who's in Rome under house arrest? Paul. And Paul says, now he's a brother beloved. The Lord in his providence brought him to Paul and saved his soul, beloved. Salvations of the Lord. My, oh my. The second point, the last point, is the building of the church. And I don't mean the building. I mean the people. The ecclesia in the Greek. The building of the church is the work of God and God alone. It's his work. It's his work. And we see that clearly in our text today. I had told Dan one time about, about the, how much the Lord was using the work here on the internet. And he goes, you know, it just shows you God don't need many people, does it? For him to get his message out. No, he don't even need me. Do you know that? Something happened to me, beloved. He just raised up another preacher for you. That's what he did. Really. Somebody asked me all the time, well, what would happen if, and this was when we were in Oregon, well, what would happen if, if, if you died? I said, God, just raise up another preacher if he wanted to. It's not, it's not the, the work is not dependent upon me. You guys have seen that. Different preachers come in. The work's dependent upon God, isn't it? And God alone. My, and he adds to the church. The church cannot be built by, by human ingenuity and power. It, it must be built by the power of God and the power of God alone. Right? I, I told you the story when I, when I first came here and folks said, well, we used to have like 150 people and all this. And I said, well, yeah, that's a lot of folks. And well, there's not as many folks now. And they were getting all caught up on the amount of people, right? And I think I told you guys, I said, well, I preached to seven people for seven years. So there's a lot of folks here every Sunday. Right? There are a lot of folks here right now. It, and, it, and it doesn't matter about numbers, does it? it w am I lying to you or am I telling you the truth? Preaching the gospel. I'm telling you the truth, aren't I? And that's what you want to hear. And I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm going to tell you. God is using it. This little church here. He's using it. It's incredible. Anyone you want to talk to me afterwards and ask me? It's incredible what he's doing. I'll tell you. It's absolutely magnificent. But it's all his work. It's all him. It's not, nothing we do. We just put it out. My, oh, my. So every effort of man to build the church other than the preaching of the gospel. Now, there's huge churches, right? I'll tell you, there's giant churches. There's no gospel there. You know why they're giant churches? Because it appeals to the flesh. They're tickling people's eyes. They're lying on God. Now, I hope and pray. I know there's several grace churches that are really large. Praise be to God. I, I love that. That's wonderful. You know, and, and, and I pray all the time if the Lord would add to the church here, if it be his will. Please play along. I know you're praying along with me, too. But, it, but he has to do that, doesn't he? It's not something we can manipulate. You know, I do know how to fill the building but I wouldn't be preaching the gospel. And I cannot do that. I cannot do that. I will not compromise by the grace of God on the gospel. I just will not do it. 
my oh my. So fellowship, true fellowship, true unity that we see here is created and maintained by God the Holy Spirit. It's a doctrinal fellowship is what it is. People say, oh, I don't want to do nothing with doctrine. Well, doctrine just talks about Christ, that's all. You know, I can talk to you doc about doctrine and not even mention the word doctrine. Right? We get talking about Christ dying for us. That's doctrinal, isn't it? Right? We get, we get talking about Christ choosing us before the foundation of the world. That's doctrinal. It, it, you know, I, I think sometimes we muddle, muddy, muddy the waters too much. I think we really do. I'm going to just be preaching Christ and him crucified to y'all. I'm not going to get caught up in different arguments that people are having. I refuse to do that. You don't see me go to a whole lot of places because this is where I'm called. And I take that extremely serious. I've been telling all my preacher friends I'm a homebody. I'm quite content. I love you guys. I'm, I'm sent here to preach the gospel to you. And I, I'm... By the grace of God, I won't compromise. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I, all the strength the Lord gives me, I'm going to preach the apostles' doctrine to you. And what are we going to say? Amen! <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's it. Amen! Right? <laughs> Isn't God so good to us? Isn't it amazing that the Redeemer saved us? And here we are taken from all different lifestyles and all standings of life, and here we are, worshiping and praising and adoring our great God and Savior. And when we leave this earth, we're going to do it in an even greater way with no sin. Our love will be even stronger in glory. Wouldn't that be amazing? My, oh, my. Brother Travis, can you close us in prayer?